Hello and welcome to the Highland Ridge Builders podcast. We're on episode 34 and we are about to wrap up our series on the Torah. Today we're fortunate to have someone back with us who used to be in our class but has gone on to start uh, a new class for younger adults here at Highland called the 222 class. This is Kevin Betts. Kevin does an amazing job. We're fortunate to have Kevin back with us for a reunion of sorts. And Kevin will be speaking to us on the second to last book of the Torah. This is the book of Numbers. Probably a book that you're not just super familiar with. I'll say for myself, I don't know a ton of what Kevin's going to talk about today from the book of Numbers. It's a book that we don't spend a significant amount of time on. And so thinking the same way that Leviticus last week, man, I learned a lot from that and really appreciated that because it is also not a book that I spent a lot of time in. I would say the same is going to be true of numbers. And so if you're not an expert at numbers, that's great. That's why we are here this morning to learn from it. So I look forward to Kevin. Um, I'll be around at the very end of the podcast to say some parting words, but let's go right now to Kevin Betts. Okay. All right. Hey guys, uh, it's good to be in here. It's uh, been a while since I've been in here, but it's good to see all you guys. Um, so I think they do an awesome job and I know y'all been watching those videos. I think it's incredible how they're able to summarize just large sections of scripture so that you can easily digest and you see the themes that are going on throughout. So I want to make sure that we got that up on um, just everybody's head first because it's impossible to cover like 36 chapters in, uh, in one class period kind of thing. So hopefully that helps kind of set the stage for where we're going. And uh, I put some things on the board because uh, this is similar to the piece of paper that you have where they've kind of got three main kind of boxes there. The way I'm gonna break it up is not exactly the way they do, but I think it will still kind of help frame what you're looking at if you have that paper in front of you. Um, and then also before we get started, there's this numbers, the numbers generation or the wilderness generation is referenced a ton of times throughout scripture. And um, you may have read over some of these just in the past and not recognize what the prophets or Paul is referencing back to. So there's two scriptures real quick that I want to start out with that are one where Ezekiel references the wilderness generation and then another where Paul's writing to the Corinthian church about the wilderness generation. And there's tons of other examples, but I just wanted to use these as two. So um, if, uh, if you'll read the Ezekiel 20 verses. Okay. But they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not rid of they did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. Therefore, I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my decrees and made known to them my laws by which the, the person who obeys them will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Now, I think right after that, I think I may have forgot to put 13 in there, but it say, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. So you see that there. And then now the 1 Corinthians 10 scriptures. <coughs> so one through six? Yeah. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. 
All right, thanks. So you see with those, those are just two examples of where later in Scripture we, we have writers who are referencing back to this generation. So there's something about what went on in this generation that was important as a reminder, uh, as Paul would say, uh, of, of what's happened in the past that has importance to what's going on now at the time that they were writing. And I think the same thing's true for us. So I, I, as we're looking at this, what what questions do you have of the text whenever you're reading through it, whenever you read through it? And I would suggest, like, if you have the time, just start in Numbers 1 this week, um, or if maybe you were doing this past week, and just start reading. And you're going to see these things, these themes that are just repeated over and over and over again. And so they, they, the writer's making you ask these questions of the text and what's going on. Because most of the time when you read this book, you're, you will come away with saying, why are these people so stupid? <laughs> like, that, like, overarchingly, that's like the main thing you want to say. And there's a reason that the writer wants you to say that, because it might have something to say about the things that go on in our own lives that make us say, hey, why are we so stupid? Um, and then how good is God? You know, I think those, uh, one key thing, I'll just go ahead and say it, of what I want us to like, get out of today is when we are faithless, God is still faithful. And you'll see this time and time and again in the book of Numbers over and over and over again the people are faithless and yet god remains faithful throughout all of it and so i was actually just talking with kyle up here and he was like oh i forgot you know balaam was in uh, numbers i think there's a lot of stories and numbers that we kind of forget about we don't talk about this book a ton but the great part about it is that it references back and there's things that have already happened in genesis exodus and leviticus that numbers harkens back to and so if you're familiar with Genesis and Exodus, a lot of things in Numbers are just a continuation of themes that were in there. So before we dig into it, what are some things that this wilderness generation has already seen in their lifetime? Some of them saw Pharaoh destroyed. Yeah. So Pharaoh was overthrown. Pharaoh. What else? Red Sea. What else? We saw God's presence at Mount Sinai. Yep. God's presence. Presence. Um, I'm really bad at spelling, so um, I'm not sure if any of those are right. Uh, what else? They saw 10 of something. Plagues. Plagues. There we go. What was the other one? Yep. So they, they've been given the law. They've been given the Ten Commandments. Yep. Manna. Um, okay, so that, that's, a, that's a good list of things. So they've already seen, they've already witnessed this before we ever get to Numbers. So they've seen Pharaoh overthrown. They've seen the Red Sea parted. They've seen God's presence at Mount Sinai. They've been witness to ten plagues that they experienced some of them and then others which they witnessed the Egyptians go through and that God saved them from. And then they've, they've been given the law after they were saved, after Passover. We'll put that, that's another one. I guess that's kind of up here. But. So they've been given, they've seen Passover, this archetypal event that would structure how they viewed the idea of God's salvation through the rest of their history. Um, this, this thing that all these other peoples that would follow them would probably wish they could think, man, if I could just have been there to see Passover. So they've witnessed that. Um, 
Also, when, when God talks to um, Moses and Moses asks God, well, God, who am I supposed to tell these people that you are? Does anybody remember, what does what God tell them to say? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these people would have been familiar with all of the works that God did in the lives of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you could look through. They, they had the story of the sacrifice of, of, or near sacrifice of Isaac and how God came in and what he did there. Or the promise that he made to Abraham that you're going to be a great nation. This dude who is super old, his wife's barren, there's no way they should have been able to have kids, yet miraculously they did. And then that promise to make them a, a nation that is numerous as the sand on the sea and the stars uh, in the sky came true in Egypt. And they just became more and more and more numerous. So they've, they've witnessed all of these or they know the stories of their forefathers that would have been passed down to them of how this God has been faithful to them. And then we get, so they get to, then after all of those, they get to Mount Sinai. Um, and if y'all went through Leviticus you, uh, last week, then you got to see when they received the law. And so God saved them, then he gives them this law to live by. And so that's where we're at when we get to numbers. So they've been witness to all of these things. This one generation has seen all of these things, these acts of God. Um, and then we, we get to numbers, and it starts out great. So it really does. So this is in chapters, um, chapters 1 through 10 here. Uh, honestly, it's, it starts great. They're still at Mount Sinai. They haven't quite left yet. And so if, if we're going through this, if you just want to turn to Numbers, if you've got your Bible, and we'll kind of just walk a little bit through it. And you can see some of this. The reason I put repetition up here is because each of these sections, there are things that the author repeats over and over and over again. And I think they're doing that so that you can see there's a, there's a point that the author is trying to get at. So in this first section, chapters 1 through 10, I just want to look at several of the last verses of each of the chapters. So if we look in chapter 1, remember they're at Mount Sinai, and you know that they've been told to do the census, and then the Levites are exempted from the census, but then they still get counted. So you get to chapter 1, verse 54, and it reads, uh, I'm reading out of the ESV, Thus did the people of Israel, they did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So uh, according... To all the Lord. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, so we see that phrase, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So then it, let's flip over to the end of chapter 2. And in the last verse of chapter 2, you see, thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So we see it again. All right, so let's go now to the end of chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we see, And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So they're doing great so far, right? They're doing everything that they're doing. They're doing all these things according to what the Lord said. So, I mean, this is, this is going great. So you get the idea. You could kind of keep walking through numbers, and then you, would, you could even go all the way to chapter 9. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 5, you, you have according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so, that the, pe so the people of Israel did. And then just again, uh, later in chapter 9, as it ends, it says, They kept the charge of the Lord as 
They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So you can see through these first nine chapters, they're doing awesome. Uh, they're at the end of each kind of section of scripture, the writer said they did according to what the Lord had said. So real quick, what I want to do is I want to take a look at that. And if we look at chapter 10, verse 11, if somebody could turn there and then read what chapter 10, verses, verse 11 says. Okay, that's, that's good. So what, what was the time frame given? Twentieth day of the second month. Yes, of the second year. Second month. Second year. Okay, awesome. So that's that's chapter that's chapter ten. That's when that happens. Can somebody turn back to chapter one, real quick? And if we look in chapter one, verse one, what do we see? Somebody wants to read that. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year. First day, second month, second year. After the Israelites came out of Egypt. Okay, so we've got nine whole months of faithful, or nine whole chapters of faithfulness by the people of Israel. And if we go, this takes up a fourth of the book. And if you go from here to here, this whole section, how many days is that? All right, so we got 19 days. Which, when you, if you think about it, those are, those are really the only times that you see a, a time frame given in the book. And I think, like, the guy's trying to say, like, you see all of these acts of faithfulness, right? Um, and you, you just think when you're reading nine chapters, man, that seems like a long time. Like, how many previous to this, how many times has there been nine straight chapters of faithfulness by the people? Probably not ever. And then you, when you see how long it's been, it's 19 days. So are you impressed or completely like unimpressed at this point? Because here, here's the reality. So we've got 19 days for a fourth of the chapter. They're doing awesome. Between here and the end of this book, does anybody know how, how much time we have? 40 years, right? So we've got the remaining part of the book is 40 years. So you've got this, this people, this, these uh, people here that witnessed all of this, all of what God's done for them up to this point means that God is rewarded with 19 days of faithfulness. That's, that's awesome. You know, um, and then what we'll see is if, you're, if, you're, if you look in, uh, right as we have this transition in chapter 10 and 11, if, we, if you just turn back there real quick. So this is in chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 33. So remember, this whole time, these, these 19 days, these are the last 19 days of that year that they were at Sinai. So they're at Sinai for a full year, all the book of Leviticus, and then the first nine chapters of... Um, of numbers they're they're finishing up their time in sinai and then in verse 33 we see so they set out from the mount of the lord of from the mount of the lord three days journey so this little space here 
three days. So all of it God's done for them results in 19 days of faithfulness. They set out from Mount Sinai, from where God's given them the law, and we've got three days that happen between verse 33 and the beginning of chapter 11. And I don't know about y'all, but what is, what is chapter 11 titled in your, in your Bible? The people complain, or fire from the Lord's another one. So it took three days of God still being with them. They still, if you'll see, this is still where the, the cloud is, is going before them during the day, and then there is a fire in front of them at night. So they are still able to see the power of God. And it only takes three days of, of making them actually step out in faith, going where he, le- he asked them to go, for it to go completely downhill. Just three days. So they've been in God's presence in the same spot for a full year. They t- it takes three days for them to plummet in their faith and to start rebelling. So the repetition here in the beginning, you can see, is according to all that the Lord had done. And so you're reading it, and you're like, oh, they're doing great. They're finally, they've been given the law, and maybe now that they've gotten the law, this is why we're seeing nine whole chapters of faithfulness, because they've been given the law, they know what to do, so things must be great. But then, even though that they've now got the law, 19 days plus three, I guess, so 22 days later, we now get to the second part of Numbers, and you've got these seven different rebellions. So, of course, it's seven, because it's the Bible. Um, And so we see that number a lot. So... If we just look high level at these rebellions, so I've got these different um, scripture references up here. And so you'll see this whole section goes from chapter 11 to the end of chapter 21. In that section, you've got seven rebellions. And then if you'll notice here, so we've got rebellions in chapter 11, two of them. Then we've got a rebellion in 12, rebellion that lasts 13 and 14. Then there's a gap here where 15 is not a rebellion, but we'll get back to this. And then you got 16 and 17, and then you've got another gap between 18 and 19. So something must be going on here if we don't see a rebellion. We're seeing all these continued things, and then there's these two chapters that are kind of left out, so I wonder what's going on there. And then you get again in chapter 20 and again in chapter 21. Does anybody notice any connections between those rebellions, just from looking at them? Do you see a pattern at all? So if, you, if, you're, if you're looking at them, and we've got seven of them, so let, let's call this A. So this rebellion, there's, there's a rebellion, and, and there's fire that consumes the outermost parts of the camp, and there's people that are killed out of the rebellion there. Remember, this rebellion happens three days because they're tired of their journey after three days with the Lord. Then you've got here, so in this one, they're complaining about this provision that God's given them of manna, saying that it's not enough. And then at the same time, you've got Moses who's complaining, saying, God, why have you given me these people? They're stupid, they're annoying, and they complain all the time. God, why have you given them to me? So you've got uh, the people rebelling, and then Moses having a moment to complain. Then you've got this next one in chapter 12. Here you've got Miriam and Aaron, his Moses' brother and sister, who are leaders in, in the group there, and they too rebel. But this time, they're, they're rebelling against the authority of Moses. And remember, God's given Moses 
the authority of his, of his tongue, of, of his lips among the people. But they're rebelling against God putting Moses in a position. So you've got them rebelling against uh, some uh, leadership that God has set up. Then you have this rebellion against the Exodus. They're, they're going, God, we are out here in this desert. We, we are hungry. Um, we, you've told us to go spy onto this land, and these people are huge. They're giants. Yeah, the land's great, but how are we ever supposed to overcome them? I mean, we've already forgotten about the fact that we've already seen you overthrow Pharaoh. You've parted the Red Sea. We, we see your presence day and night, every day. We, we witnessed the ten plagues and you overthrowing the most powerful country in the ancient world. But you can't, but God, there's no way you could do anything against the Canaanites, even though they're nothing compared to the Egyptians. So you've got them rebelling against the Exodus whenever they're told to go spy it out. So then you've got this rebellion here by the sons of Korah, who they were rebelling against the authority that God had given to Aaron. They're saying, who is Aaron? Like, why should, we, why should he be the high priest? Korah is another son of Levi, like, of, or of the tribe of Levi. And similar to how Miriam and Aaron were like, who is Moses that we should follow him? Why, why shouldn't we be the leaders? You've got Korah, this cousin of Aaron, and his sons who are going, well, who's Aaron? Why does he get to be high priest? What, why can't we? And they try to rebel. So then you've got here, these kind of go together. And then you've got this water. So there's this provision that God's given them time and time again of water, and they're rebelling out against God. God, why, why, do we have to, why, why do we have to wait for you to give us water? Why can't we just have it always? And then so you've got them complaining again, and then this time Moses again complains, and this time he strikes the rock twice instead of doing what God had said. And this is where Moses is now barred from going into the promised land. So you've got a connection here. And then you've got rebellion and fiery snakes. Which is almost like if you, at this point, if, you had, if you're reading through it and you hadn't yet made the connection, but then you saw fiery snakes, you'd be like, what? Like, that's weird. Well, where else have I seen fire? Up here. So you've got this series of rebellions that are going on. And I think what the authors want you to do is, is recognize it. And you probably, you may not even recognize it until you get down here. But then when you see fiery snakes... I mean, that's pretty weird. That would make you say, like, okay, what's going on here? Um, and then you make that connection between the rebellion fire up at the top. And the Bible does this all the time, where they've got a series of things that are going on. And if you look at what is in the middle of that series, a lot of times you see, like, the main point that the author is trying to get you to see in that whole section. And so I want to, like, focus in on this here where they rebel against the Exodus, because you've got these things that are sandwiching in on this thing that's in the middle here. So this rebellion against the Exodus must be pretty important. Um, and then you'll also notice we've got these chapters that there was no rebellion. So if you look in chapter 15, what do you see? If somebody wants to turn there, what, what do you see there? What's the title of chapter 15? That seems random. Yeah, <laughs> yeah laws about, you got all this narrative, and we'll have narrative after it, but if you look, let's just look at the title headings of chapter 15 real quick. So you've got laws about sacrifices, uh, and then you've got laws about unintentional sin. Then you've got this Sabbath breaker who was executed. Uh, and then you have tassels on garments. 
Um, that's what it says in mine. Uh, that's like, I mean, it, you almost laugh when you get to it. It's like, okay, what, what purpose does this serve? Uh, so I just want to write, I'm going to write tassels here because we'll come back to tassels. Um, so who knows the story, the story of the 12 spies, right? Who wants to summarize it real quick? That's this middle story. Yeah. So you've got 12 people go in, 10 see how good the land is, see that it's flowing with milk and honey, whatever that means. And they have these grapes that they've got to carry on a pole in between two guys walking. That's how big the single cluster of grapes is. But they doubt what God has said, even though what has God already told them about this land? He's going to give it to you. And you've already seen him do all of these things. And then you've also know that he's the same God that was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who did all of the things for them that they didn't deserve either. But God throughout it all was what? Faithful. He made this promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Um, I'll, let me turn there real quick because we'll come back to this. But if you, look, if you were to look back at Genesis 12, this is the call of, the call of Abram. All right, so you've got you know, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which talk about the whole world and how they keep screwing up and God keeps you know, redeeming and coming out for a way to, for, the, for there to be life. Then you've got Abraham, and uh, this is chapter 12, uh, chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your, uh, in your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in him and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you've got this promise that, that, that was made to Abraham that he reiterated with Abraham's son Isaac and then reiterated again with his son Jacob. And you've got these people that came from out of an old man and a barren woman. You've got this, this nation that grew up out of Egypt and was led out by powerful acts of God with plagues and parting of the Red Sea. And then they're, they see God's presence on the mountain of Sinai and they're given this law and then they break it immediately and then God gives it again rather than killing them all. And you get to Numbers, they spend <laughs> take three days away from Mount Sinai, everything goes down the drain. Um, and then culminating, because a lot of times what I feel like what Scripture does is, I feel like a lot of times when we're telling a story, our emphasis would be either on the beginning or the end a lot of times. And a lot of times what they do in Scripture is it's what's in the middle is telling you something. So you've got this rebellion against the Exodus where there's these 12 guys that go out, each from the tribes, one person from the tribe. Only two are faithful and believe, you know what, we, we know God can do it. We believe that he can do it. Um, and then there's this repetition in this section. Uh, and it's this Hebrew word that is translated different ways in English, but what it means is to spy out. And so... It's to spy out or to, to see with your own eyes. It's used 20, I, I looked it up, and I don't know the Hebrew word. Um, I, mean, I don't know Hebrew. Uh, but it's, it's used 24 times in all of the Old Testament. No, 20, 23 times in all of the Old Testament. Uh, and it's the word, I'm, I know I'm going to butcher it, uh, taturum, something like that. Taturu, taturu, yeah. 
I'm sure that's exactly how it said. And uh, so used 23 times in all of the Old Testament. And that root word, taturu, is used thir- uh, 14 times in, uh, between, in Numbers 13 through 15. So he's repeating this word over and over and over and again to spy out. And we've got this weird section in Numbers 15. And if you all go right there to the tassels. Uh, so this is the end of chapter 15. So this is uh, chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And that shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them and not to follow, or you may have a little asterisk or a little number in your, in your um, Bible, and it says not to follow, or if you look down at the bottom uh, in Hebrew, not to spy out, which is a weird word choice. So to do them and not to spy out after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So you've got this narrative about all these rebellions. And in the middle, you've got this weird chapter about laws. And then in the middle there, you've got this section that talks about don't spy out with your own eyes. Like that's a really weird way of saying things. Don't spy out after your own heart and your own eyes. Well, who... When God tells them to go and spy out the land, what is he wanting them to see the land through? What lens is he wanting them to see it through? The lens of his faithfulness. The lens of his faithfulness. Time and time and again, he has been faithful to bring them up out of Egypt, to give them a great name, despite anything that they've done. And God's wanting them to go and see how good this land is, how good this land of the promise that they've been given for 400 years previous to that, and see that it is good, and God is faithful to give it to you. To give it to you. That's all you got to do is just trust in him. And yet they spy out with their own eyes. They're looking through it through their lens, and they're saying, yeah, this land is great, but look how big these people are. They're giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes, as they'll say. And they they don't at all see how God has been faithful through everything in their life. This generation has seen more acts of God, more signs than any generation previous and probably after. They, they have seen all of these acts of how God has been is powerful and mighty, more powerful than any of the schemes of man, yet they continue to rebel and not believe that he, that he is faithful to the promise that, that he's given them, that this land that I have for you, it is good. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. You can't even imagine the blessings that are in that land, yet they don't believe. And you've got this, this, this law here, and I'm convinced that it's there because it's using that weird word, that's repeated 13 times in that chapter, and that's the, last, that's the last time it's used, not to spy out. And it's like the writer's telling you, like, okay, in your, in your life, like reader, as you're looking through numbers, are you spying out? Are you looking at the world? Are you looking at where God's called you to go through your own lens, through, through your own heart, through your own eyes? Or are you looking at it through the, through the lens? Are you spying out in how God has promised to be faithful to you in the promises that he's promised you knowing that despite what you've done, he's already given it to you. All you got to do is trust in him. You got to believe in him. You got to know that he has already done the work of salvation and you're walking to this promised land. Just trust in him. And so like, like reader, as you go through it, 
Are you spying out with your own eyes and your own heart? Or are you spying out seeing the new eyes and the new heart that God's given you? Um, so I think that's this repetition, that's the point of, of this section, I think, is God's wanting you to, or the, the reader, the writer is wanting you to see, like a reader, like whose heart and eyes are you spying this world out through? Is it God's or is it yours? Um, and then kind of, uh, I'll, I'll wrap up here in a little bit, um, but we get to Balaam. And I think we all kind of remember the story of Balaam from when we were kids a lot of times. And you've got uh, this, this guy who, he's, he's not an Israelite, uh, don't really know who he is. He's this random sorcerer. And you've got Balak, who at this point, Balak's this king of, of Moab, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you've already got this happening here. So you've got, remember, we, we had uh, 20 days, uh, roughly, the first part of the, of the book. The whole rest of it happens over 40 years. Uh, this, this generation was, was faithless. They were told they're not going to be able to enter the promised land. But then we get to their kids, and God has said that they will get to see it. So here at the end of Numbers, we're already beginning to see some victories that this um, Joshua generation has over the people outside of the land of Canaan. So it's setting the stage for when we get to the book of Joshua, and they enter in, and they conquer every, all the land that God had already promised to give them. So you've got all these victories that this generation's happening, and Balak is, the, is a king of Moab, and he's like, all right, I need some help. These people are just running right over all of these other kings in my area, and I don't want that to happen to me. I'm going to go find this guy, Balaam, who I know he's powerful. He's a sorcerer, so maybe he can curse this people so that they won't conquer me. Um, so if you'll turn to chapter 22 real quick. And... Um, I'm going to read this section. See if there's anything that jumps to your head about maybe something that we read previously or something they all talked about um, in Genesis. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is on the ground around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, the people have come out from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom is that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So where has that language been before? In the covenant. In the covenant that God made to Abraham. What what did God say to Abraham? I'm going to bless you. Bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And here you have Balak who is scared of Israel, and he's going to Balaam, who goes, Balaam, I know you are powerful. I know that you have the, the power to bless and to curse. So Balaam, whoever you bless will be blessed, and whoever you curse will be cursed. So curse the Israelites. So you've got Balak setting up the stage for the showdown between, okay, is, is God more powerful or is Balaam more powerful? Who has the real power to bless and to curse here? So, ba so Balak has asked Balaam to go and curse the people of Israel. And so four times... Ba Balaam is going to go and he's going to stand up. It basically, like the stage is like you've got this mountain and then you've got this valley and you've got Israel here and then you've got Balaam here 
And so you'll see, like, throughout the story, you can see it says that Balaam looks out over the people, over the congregation of Israel. So he's up on this mountain, up above the people of Israel. They have no idea that he's there. So you've got all of these stories where they were faithful for 19 days, and then they've been faithless for 40 years, and God has been remained faithful the entire time. And unbeknownst to Israel, there is this guy up on a mountain above them who, is, who has been called by a king of another nation to curse them. And, and, here, and this, is, this is what we see, that every time that Balaam goes to open his mouth against the people of Israel, the only thing that comes out is blessing. He tries four times to curse Israel, to curse Israel, to curse Israel, to curse Israel, and each time it's returned with only words of blessing. And not only words of blessing, but there's also prophecy that Balaam has that we know are not from his, that are not from his mouth, but from God's. Um, so this is in Balaam's final oracle. So this is in chapter 24. So this is the last time. He's like, okay, this one last time, I'm going to... He goes, uh, the previous three times, he tries to inquire of the Lord whether or not he should bless or curse. And God always says bless. And then this time, uh, Balaam says he's not going to... Uh, um, Oh, well, it's actually the third and fourth time. Beginning of chapter 24 says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face towards the wilderness. So he was like, okay, I know God's only going to allow me to bless, so I'm not even going to go to God this time and see if I can just do it on my own. And this final oracle says this. This is in uh, verse 5, starting in verse 15 of chapter 24. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, which is ironic. Balaam calling himself the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of the Lord and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph, whoever that is. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. So you got this last time where, where Balaam's trying this one last time to curse Israel. And not only does he not curse Israel, not only does he bless Israel, but he tells of this coming king who will come, a scepter out of Israel, and he will crush the head of Moab. Can you think back to a previous story in the Torah at this point? where there's been a poem that has resulted in somebody crushing the head of something. And where was it? Genesis chapter 6. 3. Yeah. So you've got, in Genesis chapter 3, if you can remember all the way back there, you've got Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've just been kicked out of the garden. But as these curses against them have come because they've not obeyed God, there is this promise of one who is a son of woman who would come and crush the head of the snake that was the, the one that caused them to fall. And the, then here we see that Balaam here again is repeating that promise of one day, not near, I can't see him, he's not, he's not near, he's far, but there will be one that comes out of Jacob who will crush the head of Moab, who is the very king who at this point in time has commissioned Balaam to curse Israel. So you've got the king of Moab whose head, who he's clearly here being uh, linked with Satan, the, the schemes of Satan, that this one will come out of Jacob who will crush the head of Moab. 
And so you can see how God's faithfulness is just completely present the entire time. And this whole, this whole thing happens up on a mountain. Israel has no idea this is even going on. You've, you've got all of this uh, complaining and uh, wishing that they could go back in, into the land of, of Egypt and just doubt in what God can do for them. And God is dealing with them, and he's still blessing them, and he's giving them water, and he's giving them manna, and he's continuing to give them more and more laws to know what is in the heart of the Lord. And in all of this time, in all this rebellion, up, on, up above, there's this guy trying to curse them. And every time he tries to curse, it only comes out as blessing because God has promised to bless them. He promised back to Abram that he was going to bless them and not curse them. And not only that, but he still has remembered his promise that he made back in Genesis 3 before Israel was even thought of that there was going to be one who came from the son of Eve that would crush the snake and would undo all that the serpent caused them to fall from. So everything that they had in Eden, they would have again. And he's promising that again through Balaam, the very guy who was trying to curse them. Um, and so, like I said, at the, at the end, you have another census. And uh, wrapping up now, you've got another census. And if you were to look at it throughout 40 years in the wilderness, if you look at the numbers, um, huh numbers. Uh, so seven of the 12 tribes actually increase in number through 40 years of living in, the, uh, living in the wilderness, which is kind of incredible to think about how God's faithful and in actually increasing them in number uh, as, as they get through 40 years of living in the wilderness. You would think that they would decrease because those are not good living conditions, but they actually increase. Um, so time and time again, as I said at the beginning, when we are faithless, God is still faithful. You see that time and time and again in there. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and that's all I got. Lord, uh, you've been so good to us. Uh, we're so thankful uh, for this book of numbers that you um, put on people's lips uh, and on their hands to write down uh, so that we can see how, despite this people's faithlessness, that you were faithful. God, we know uh, that even as it is easy to, to scoff and, and laugh at this people and wonder how they could how they who have seen so many acts of power could rebel against you. But God, we know that we still do that in our own hearts. Um, we know the salvation that you've had for us. We know that you have saved us and brought us out and that you have given us your spirit so that we may see the world differently. Yet we continue to look at the world through our old eyes and our old hearts. And God, I just pray that you continue to uh, uh, break that of, out of us uh, to, so that we see everything that we see the, through your heart, through your eyes, and that we trust in the promises that you've given us and that the land that you've promised is good and that there is work to be done here uh, on our way there. Uh, God, you're good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I really want to thank Kevin for doing an exceptional job with this. It was clear that he had really spent a lot of time diving into numbers and learning from it, and uh, it caught up with him after the lesson, and he just had notes throughout his entire section there in, in numbers. A lot more that he would have liked to share that he couldn't, of course, uh, just due to the time constraints. So it's got me excited to, to read through Numbers. I'm, I'm excited to go through there and kind of learn more of what God has to say through that book and through the stories that he was uh, teaching his people and the Israelites. I'm sad. We only have one more chapter, sorry, one more book of the Torah left. Scott Frizzell will be teaching on that next week. It'll be the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm certain that he'll do a great job, I believe, looking at more of Moses' personal experience during what we read about in Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy. Again, another book that we don't really mention a ton uh, in the church, but uh, there's a lot there. 
and I'm uh, very much looking forward to that. And I hope you've enjoyed this. I do want to make another plug for the Bible Project. I was also talking to Kevin, which if he's happening to listen to this right now, hey, Kevin, you did a great job. But um, the Bible Project, he says that he actually donates to that monthly to support uh, their efforts. And he was also commenting that uh, they've had a lot of impact in countries like even North Korea and parts of Asia. And so I think that's just a really powerful idea that some videos that you put together on YouTube and some little posters that you make and all those efforts and of course the money that it takes to do something like that, that it can have an impact that's that far reaching and uh, that has an eternal significance. And so if that's something that you believe in, certainly you can donate to them there and really appreciate them for the uh, resources they've provided for this uh, series. That's all I have for this week. Really appreciate you, uh, this podcast. Um, it's had a lot of listens and a lot of people that I'm sure don't live in the Memphis area listening to it. We'd really appreciate it if you're out there just to let us know that you're listening. Um, I hope it's been um, helpful to you and it's been uplifting to you. And we'll keep doing this for as long as we can. So with that said, have a great week. Uh, bless you this week and I hope God is with you. And uh, we'll see you next week. So thank you so much. Bye-bye.